a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I love the way you put it, Fran, in the litany, the community of God. It takes uh, hierarchy out of it. The community of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. We hear the voice of God through the reading of these sacred words. Thanks be to God. So for the summer... We are following the Gospel Lectionary readings. That's the schedule of Scripture readings that a lot of the worldwide church follows. Our goal is simple, travels with Jesus. We want to preach short sermons, homilies usually. We're we're aiming for around 12 minutes, but we rarely get there. I'm sorry. But that's our goal. We're trying to preach short sermons about Jesus and what he does in these stories that strikes us as notable, fascinating, and applicable to our lives today. Sometimes this is easy when you get to a text where Jesus is destroying religious leaders for making people think that God hates them. If you pay attention, you'll see that Jesus' primary adversaries are religious leaders. So take note, clergy people. In our text today, Jesus' movement is gaining momentum. And he is following his life's mission of bringing about God's counter-wisdom way to earth. He's often talking about this, and he refers to it as the kingdom of God, the family of God, the community of God, the kingdom of God, which is a phrase that had many implications in that particular context because it stood in stark opposition to the kingdom of Caesar. In our context today, we could say that Jesus' use of the kingdom of God stands in prophetic opposition to the kingdom of predatory capitalism, or the kingdom of the prison industrial complex, or the kingdom of white supremacy. We can think of the empire of Caesar in the New Testament times as a stand-in for any of these demonic kingdoms or empires in our society today. And I give you permission, friends, if you so need it, to use your prophetic imagination in that way. Good theology gives us language to name those structures and systems in society that need to be transformed so they look more like this worldview that Jesus offers us. Again, what he calls the kingdom of God. 
In the historical context of our scriptures, when a conquesting military leader or emperor would approach a city, messengers would be sent ahead with these similar messages that Jesus sends his disciples out with. The emperor's messengers would go to the city and would say, the emperor comes in peace, and the emperor's kingdom has come near to you. You should be happy. In fact, you should be rejoicing. And as they cracked their knuckles, capiche? You understand? This is time to be happy, okay? Our story has a few similarities to that pattern and many differences. Like a conquesting military leader or emperor, Jesus sends forward messengers with instructions to make two proclamations to these towns that he would be coming to next. But instead of telling the inhabitants of the city to be on their best behavior and to get ready to bow low before the emperor, Jesus has his messengers say something different. And I think these first century instructions for how to spread the good news of Jesus can have 21st century implications for us today, which is why I call this message, Helping the Messenger Match the Message, or How to Spread Good News Without Being a Jerk. The first thing Jesus tells them is to begin by asking God for companions for the work that they are called to do. Not only does he have them pair up, I hope you noticed, but before he sends them out, he reminds them that the important stuff in life requires community and that this community comes as a gift from God. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's saying there's plenty of good work to do. And it won't get done without a critical mass of people who are willing to come together, be a community, and do it. So pray that God would bring together a community for this purpose. This is why we here at Peace are eager to see our community continue to grow. If you're like me, the challenges in our society can be overwhelming. And I'm just talking about our society, not the global society, just our own society. It can be overwhelming. Whelming. Spend five minutes on Twitter, five seconds on Twitter, or the internet, or wherever. It's overwhelming, and it's almost impossible that an individual or even a couple of people can bring about the changes that need to take place. But personally, I find hope in you all, in this community, a community of people who are willing to stick around and invest their lives and resources, resources toward meaningful change in specific and particular ways. Two areas that we have chosen to focus on as a community are inclusion, the work of being a safe, welcoming, affirming, inclusive community, and secondly, immigration. We can't attend to all the elements of our society, but we can be a critical mass of people and energy. We can be laborers, to use our text metaphor, who labor in one part of God's field. This is why we are constantly encouraging you to keep coming back keep showing up, participate in these very specific ways so we can build a critical mass and work in God's field together. Next, in verse 4, Jesus tells them to travel lightly and with a sense of intentional urgency. He says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, greet no one on the road even. And I know my introverts in the room would really like the second part of that. I don't have to talk to anybody or make contact or say hi. Woohoo! I can do that. But notice the part before that where Jesus says, take no wallet, no travel bag, not even shoes. 
travel lightly and unencumbered and trust that God will meet your needs through the hospitality of others as you go. This is really something, isn't it? He says, don't take anything. Imagine where you sit there, what it would be like for you to be moved by such a cause, a purpose, a calling that you would abandon all your guarantees of a safe, comfortable life in pursuit of it. Are you moved by such a cause that you would be willing to give up all these comforts and pursue it? So moved by a cause or purpose that some of your individuality you would be willing to subsume under a larger body and movement that you trust to meet your needs. Yes, you would give up some individual control and freedom and security and stability or really what we could call apparent or pseudo-control, freedom, security, and stability, but you would find that you belong to something larger. It may not be the most convenient or financially shrewd move that you could make in your life, but you would be more alive. And you would find yourself surprised at how God's riches would come to you through that very community. Jesus here says, do something bold. Do something crazy. Give up some of your beloved security blankets and see how God meets your needs through a community as you go in the name of peace. I know this is not a very Western or American message. This is what Jesus offers us. Next in verse 5, Jesus tells them that whenever they come to a new place, the first thing they are to say is peace. Jesus, a Jew, uses the word peace very specifically. This is not the peace imposed by brute force. The kind of peace that comes when a parent says to a child, be quiet or I'll give you something to cry about. This isn't the peace that's mandated by those who would police other people's tone of voice. Let me be clear, this is not the peace I'm talking about. This isn't the peace that has come to be called polite white supremacy, which actually upholds the power structures of our society where those with privilege tell others that they are protesting or challenging oppressive systems wrongly and without appropriate decorum. Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in decorum here. He tells you, don't even greet people as you go along. He's not interested in decorum. Instead, the peace that Jesus' followers are to proclaim is related to the Jewish notion of peace or shalom, and it has more to do with the welfare and wholeness of an entire society. It's a picture of a society so arranged so that everyone's needs are met and life for everyone can flourish. This is a lot different from peace as the absence of conflict, right? When we talk about being a community named the peace of Christ, we do not mean a community that's absent of conflict. Change will never happen without some conflict. This isn't about peace as being got into a Facebook fight about six months ago and somebody was telling me I'm not being very Christ-like and I said, I no longer equate Christ-likeness with being nice. Those two are not the same thing to me anymore. Instead, it's what we have in this community at times called generative peace. Peace that promotes the flourishing of life, not simply peace as the absence of conflict. 
Peace as the absence of conflict would simply be peace as a means to maintain the broken status quo. Um, no, thank you. I have no patience anymore. Now, notice, who is included in this piece? I found this interesting. Jesus doesn't tell his messengers to administer a test before they speak this kind of peace to who they meet. He doesn't say, now, make sure that they are true believers. He doesn't say, make sure that they are on the same side of the political spectrum as us. He doesn't say, make sure they call God Yahweh instead of Allah. No. Instead, he simply says, if they are a person who's willing to be part of this cosmos encompassing peace, peace that can think in terms of both personhood and planethood, love of self and love of neighbor, they are a person of peace. These are your kin. Collaborate with them. Work together. Build bridges. Build a community around this. Weave your lives together. Notice that Jesus says nothing about creed here. And in fact, he goes a step further when he tells them, you are to suspend kosher dietary laws, in fact, and just eat whatever is set before you wherever you go. Jesus is incredibly pragmatic in the name of peace. This is why I'm eager for our community here to continue deepening our interfaith and interphilosophy relationships as we too work for this kind of generative peace. Next, in verse 9, Jesus tells them to cure the sick and to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This part of Jesus' instructions right here to heal the sick, it had me thinking a lot about you all this week and how we are each offering unique healing to one another and how our community is richer because each one who is a part of it uh, is a healer in their own way. Some of us offer healing to others who simply need a compassionate hug on a Sunday morning. Some offer healing to the sickness of loneliness and the lack of support systems. Some offer healing through friendship, some through rides to doctor appointments, some through financial or career advice, some through sharing your musical talents or greeting talents or talents. Really love those. That's one of my favorite forms of healing. Some through helping repaint walls and attend housewarming parties. The people of Jesus are a community of healers. That's what we are. And we practice our medicine with one another here in this community, as well as the many venues of life that we experience outside of this community. And when we do that, we are constantly proclaiming Jesus' words to those that we are healing. The of God is near. Lastly, and perhaps this is my favorite part of Jesus' instructions, he tells them how to respond when people reject that message. He says, when you and your message are not welcomed, wipe the dust of the city off and keep moving forward. Don't you like how realistic Jesus is here? I mean, he says, people are not going to like your message. Be ready for that. Or they're not going to like the fact that you are there to propose the idea that Everyone can eat, have shelter, and have health care. They're not going to like that. Be ready for it. Or they're not going to like your lack of decorum. They're going to say, I agree with your content, but not the way you're presenting it. Or they're not going to like your hair. Or they're not going to like that you spoke about your passion for foster children, but not the environmental crisis. Or whatever it is. People are crazy. People are crazy. This is perhaps the most true thing I've said this morning. People are crazy. 
Jesus calls them and us at times wolves that just want to devour lambs. People can be crazy. And when they get crazy with you, Jesus says, and they drag you down into the dust, stand back up, wipe the dust off, the negativity, the discouragement, the hopelessness, and keep moving forward in the cause of peace. In effect, he's saying, here is your ritual for rejection. Or more accurately, here is your ritual of recommitment to the work of generative peace when you feel rejected. I've included in your guides there at the beginning one of my favorite quotes. It says, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Can you relate to that? It continues, Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. And then it says so realistically, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Wow. I think we find that same message in a more compressed form in our Galatians reading today, read by Eric, where the Apostle Paul says, let us not become weary of doing good. If you're like me, that would be so easy. It would be so easy to just abandon the good work that needs to be done. Almost all of us, pretty much all of us in this room have the privilege of doing that, of being Enneagram nines and just disappearing and avoiding all of the good work that needs to be done. That would be easy, especially when our message of peace can so easily degenerate into the opposite of peace. I've been guilty of that too many times. And in the face of that temptation, Jesus tells us here, you don't need to argue or be reactive or be fragile. You don't need to let your ego get in the way when somebody rejects you or the world overwhelms you. Your words will do no good at times. You have to show them with your prophetic actions that the kingdom of God is near. You are not free to abandon it, he says. You have to show them the kingdom of God is near. In fact, it's right in front of them at that very moment, wiping off dust, moving forward boldly and with conviction, bringing about the healing and wholeness of the world. This is my prayer for our community. May God bring us companions in this work. May God help us to travel lightly and unencumbered. May God help us build relationships and community with anyone, anyone who wants to practice generative peace. May God help us be a community of healers, and may God help us to incarnate or embody the nearness of God's kingdom in our world. Amen.